Vincent the Dude. Hey, good Wednesday afternoon, everybody from the heart of Freight Alley. Another beautiful day, man. It is a nice day. The humidity left. It was here for like two, three days. Nice day to be stuck on an island. It is the 43rd season of Survivor tonight. It's been on for over 22 years now. But how does that math work? How does that math? Well, there's two seasons a year. Uh, so that's how, how that math out. That's so pretty, there's a fall and spring. Pretty incredible. You think you'd do well on that? Like, it's weird because the I'd show's win been on no, half my hands life. Hands down, I'd win. I'm not even allowed on. I applied. They said, forget it. You just win. Really? Every time I see people and they show like their legs with like bugs and stuff in them, I'm just like, ah, you... that, that, um, no, I couldn't. Nah, not when I know I could just say, you know, screw it and be in like a nice hotel room or something like that. I, we <laughs> should do the amazing race instead. That would, that be, would that be fun. Be, that'd be stressful. though. That would be I think that would be cool. We'd have to like make a rule that it's OK if we punch each other like three times. Yeah, there would have to be a lot of forgiveness going on because yeah. either way, if not, one of us is not going to make it to the finish line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I can lose my ass in traffic just driving to, like, Publix, like, let alone, like, trying to win a million dollars. I can't because you slap me all the time when I'm driving and tell me where to go. Well, you drive fast. That's why you get tickets. <laughs> Anyways, today on the show, we're going to be talking about what you can learn from doing a ride along with a trucker. Um, if driver pay is helping with recruiting in this market. We got cargo trends this season. We get the winner of a cab makeover. We talked about that on Monday. The cab makeover winner is here with us today. We'll find out how that all works. We get the sinking of the Sea Eagle, answering the phone at Walmart, road rage news, and more. But let's tip the band, and uh, we'll get all to this. Did you know that AIT Worldwide Logistics is one of the fastest-growing freight forwarders out there? They grew by 400% over the past five years, earning a spot on Crane Chicago Business Fast 50 list. How do they do it? by earning their customers' trust with cost-effective, customized global supply chain solutions. Find out how your business can benefit when you visit. Tell them, dude. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com immediately after this show. All right, it's our editorial director, Rachel Premack, over here at Freight Waves, and she just got back from a ride-along with uh, fitting uh, for the October season, a gourd, or Mr. Gourd. A gourd? A gourd. gourd right? right, Rachel? How was your ride-along with gourd? Yeah. Uh, it was really great. So I've known Gord for I think like four or five years. Uh, he responded to one of my earlier articles uh, on trucking when I was at Business Insider. Uh, and we kind of struck up an internet friendship from there. Uh, we, let's see. Yeah, so it was great meeting him in person. I went up to Ithaca and um, got the, got the tour around Ithaca a little bit. And then on Monday, I woke up at 4.15 a.m. and joined him to haul some logs from the Catskills back to, uh, you know, the Ithaca area to a oh, sawmill. Looks lovely. Wow. Looks. What did you learn during this, this ride along out in nature? Well, um, I learned how to wake up at 4.15. So that was um, that was fun. Um, I learned I learned a lot about logging, honestly. Uh, and you know, it wasn't most of the drivers I talked to, I think are more on the drive van side, uh, more OTR and Gord is home every night. He has a different kind of, you know, haul than most of the drivers I speak to. So it was good to kind of seeing the flatbed side of trucking, but yeah, I, I know a lot about logging and lumber now, which is fun. 
Um, so for instance, uh, gourd hulls hardwoods rather than softwood. Softwood is more common in Canada. Hardwood is more, you know, older growth forest, you know, trees that take 20, it's not really old growth, but trees that take 20 to 60 years to grow. Um, that's usually used for flooring or trims or cabinets. Uh, but most of the softwood is used for cardboard, cardboard, uh, cardboard or uh, four by twos or, uh, you know, kind of more things that aren't really as aesthetically important. So, yeah, I now I can't ever look at a hardwood floor uh, the same way. Does anyone have <laughs> softwood floors, Michael Vincent? Can you get cork. a softwood floor? You can buy cork, really. <laughs> it seems like it would be really soft, oh, yeah. right? But there are cork floors, right? What else did you learn about Holland lumber? Is so is hardwood like less uh, susceptible to be overweight if it rains and stuff like that because it doesn't absorb it, or did you not get into details like that? So that's a great question because it literally started uh, torrential downpour raining during our day, which actually cut the day a little bit short. Which I was totally fine with because at that point I think it had already been like a nine-hour day by the end of the day, so I was fine with you know wrapping things up at that time, but. As a result, because, you know, the, the wood still gets has to be moved, uh, you know, Gord had to work double time the next day because he didn't have to work as much uh, the, the day that I did the ride along. So for me, I was like, yay, the day is over. And he's like, oh, great. Now I've got a 14-hour day tomorrow. Uh, but let's see. Yeah, it um, at the sawmill itself, there's like a there's like a um, giant sprinkler system just keeping all of the logs wet just 24 7 and that's to prevent the logs from cracking and uh you know damage so it 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 was interesting the fact that they're just pouring water over these logs uh 24 7 even when there is actually raining i guess so then you already sort of know the soaked weight so you won't run that risk of going overweight if it rained a whole bunch yeah rachel it's so I'm sure you were like observing this too. Like, what if I was the truck driver? What if I was Gord? What do you think the hardest part of that day would have been if you were running alone and you were driving that truck? Yeah, I think the hardest part would have been um, a, the uncertainty. I feel like would be a little frustrating because you know, starting the day, um, Gord doesn't know whether he's doing two runs or one run, or if he is going to be held up at the sawmill waiting to get unloaded. Uh, whether you know there's going to be traffic or whether it's going to rain or um you know everything's really done by like whether or not someone calls you back or you know you're kind of waiting around for calls you're waiting around to get unloaded it's a lot of uncertainty and waiting around and i think that would definitely be one of the more frustrating parts kind of like dealing with that day in and day out um that's incredibly interesting yeah. to me because it seemed like it would be. It seems like to me it would be like an on schedule type of thing. You're t- hauling these hardwood logs from this yeah. place, yeah. cutting them. They already have them stacked, and you're going to a sawmill. I mean, it's not like you're sitting around waiting for somebody to order some logs, right? I guess not. But- right, right, and it's interesting because this is definitely compared to you know dry van or uh, reefer. This is probably the most like one of the better jobs you can get as a truck driver, in my opinion, because you are there that detention time quality is somewhat taken out of the equation and you are home every night uh, but yeah there's still quite a bit of like waiting around in uncertainty and um you know unclear when your day is gonna end really 
Yeah. Hmm. Guys, were, cool. were people driving behind you or do they have like the final destination to premonition and they stayed the hell away from your log truck? <laughs> um, you know, for most of the day, it wasn't too crowded. Uh, we were kind of, I wouldn't say we were out in the boonies exactly, but you know, it's like central New York state. Uh, we weren't driving near any of the big cities, so there wasn't too bad of traffic. And I would say we didn't really deal with, you know, um, you know, idiots trying to like cut us off or whatever. <laughs> I, if I see if I see an auto hauler on the road, particularly, I'm like, oh. I'm staying. I am keeping my distance. I mean, any truck, I'm keeping auto my hauler. distance, but auto hauler, I'm like really keeping that, my distance. Okay, for me, Shots it's the fired. big reels. It's the big reels of steel and shit like that. That's where I stay away. That's Shots right. fired. Yeah. There's no need to swear. Shots fired against. <laughs> Shots fired against the. Uh, Shots fired against the car hauling community over here. I believe. Oh, no, no, no. Oh no. I I think that's the toughest job, and I I know that those guys are like the most like the best drivers or else they wouldn't be hauling cars. But I'm just like, yeah, I just, I, I, I want to give them space. I want to give them plenty of space because you know, it, it, it looks tricky. And it looks complicated. So I want to <laughs> give them space. All right, well, hey, Rachel, it's another week and it's another opportunity for you to get a wheel of stupid question, question wrong. Oh, Michael, right. Spin the wheel. <laughs> Spin the wheel. Oh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking about it. Uh, what did you have to do in that very moment other than spin the wheel? I was laughing at <laughs> you. admonishing me. For, oh, it's for a swearing. video daily double. It is a video daily All right. double. What is the what, it's a, oh image question? What's the let's show Rachel the image here. Okay. okay. Pronounce what that says. Okay, so I cannot see the image because I'm on audio only. So oh, okay. R E A D. All right. It's, it happens when you uh, you you send and you receive an email. R E A D space R E C E I P T. Oh, read receipt. Okay. Oh, that's what I say. But there's a big debate going on on Reddit where some people like have to go on there saying it's red receipt. What is your I take know on? I people say red receipt. I get it. That makes sense. I'm like it's it's one of those things that I'm not going to debate. I I'm really against people saying caramel instead of caramel. I say yeah. caramel. Red receipt, read receipt. It's up to you. It's all good. But caramel, no, it's not. It is not. Oh, it good is thing not. you're not a, the it's editor. Red here. receipt. It's yeah. a red receipt. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. It's no. It's read. No. No. So no. It, it initiates the email when you open it, right? It's just saying that you're you're, you're reading. You've read it, not it. That you've read it. No, you're you're responding back to the other person that you've read the you've read this email. But I mean, I highly receipt. disagree with that. I'm pretty sure it's. But I've never no. like for okay. We can go to some facts I here, think right? Red. I think red receipt is more accurate, but I just rather would say read. Boom. Okay, Cambridge Dictionary <laughs> is wrong. Cambridge Dictionary, <laughs> Cambridge Dictionary says it's read, no, and it, it would be pronounced R E E D. No, no, it doesn't. Okay. Well, however it's pronounced, I would be disabled. They're referencing anyway. Cambridge Dictionary, but it doesn't say. See, because they're what their their argument here is wrong because they're saying past, present tense, and past tense, right? So re, it's a repair receipt, it's a pay stub, it's a mailing receipt, and those are present tense, right? Right, mm. type of things. But it's not. It's it's the pronunciation. Look, Microsoft themselves called it a read receipt. So okay, okay, <laughs> but would you call it GIF or GIF? It's a GIF, obviously. That's been settled, too. These are yeah, all it's settled a GIF. things. Why are people arguing about these still? No, it's a GIF. Oh, all right. Rachel, we have to move on. It's from not a giraffe. To <laughs> yeah, yeah, Look at that giraffe. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go talk to something positive, someone who got her truck made over on a reality show, which is much more exciting than what we're talking about, Rachel. But your ride-along was fantastic. 
Uh, really enjoyed it. <laughs> it go, was really fun. Go subscribe to uh, Modes and check out all Rachel's great stuff at FreightWaves.com. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Meanwhile, here's my hero. Because there's like nobody here. No, I don't work here, but the phone's ringing and ringing, and I know how it feels to be on that other end and nobody answers. But um, I will. <laughs> no, I'm just a customer looking for somebody to help me, actually. Um, what's you, what, if you need help, I'll, I'm looking for a bell to ring over here. I can't even find a bell. Over here. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still waiting for somebody. You want to hang up and try back in a little while? <laughs> All right. Ah, oh, you're welcome. Have a good night. Bye. How many times has she answered that? <laughs> <laughs> She's the pro. They just need to hire her. <laughs> Evening Walmart. She's the pro now. That's the electronic section over there, too. And it's it's always, like, hit or miss. So right am there. I mistaken, or are you related to that woman? That she sounds exactly like <laughs> Anne Catherine over in uh, the Staten Island area. She lives in New Jersey now, but it reminds me of my relatives that over in that relative. area, of course. Anyways, right now we got Jess Graham. She's a board member over at Real Women in Trucking. We talked about her story on Monday. She got that awesome cab makeover, and I can see her in the green room right now, and I think she's sitting right in that made-over cab. Jess, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, how's it going? What's our, you're, are you're in the cab right now, are you? I think I recognize that from the pictures. Uh, yes, I am actually in the office side. Um, and behind me, you can see, is my new renovated master suite. Um, off the front, I've got quite a bit of a four-year going with my shoes and, and welcome mat, of course. But um, I think that they did an amazing job giving me everything I'd wanted, which was a functional workspace. Uh, I think that's super cool. So how did this all come about? I, I know that Transfix was involved in some way and a, uh, a celebrity contractor was involved. How did this whole thing come together that you even got involved with it? Well, uh, Transfix, this is the second year that they have done the Transfix My Truck, which was a makeover that they decided to do in honor of driver appreciation. Um, Last year, Deb Dingo won. Uh, she's also on the board of directors. And um, she actually is the one that nominated me. And then I didn't realize that Michelle Kitchen also nominated me. I think they felt bad and wanted to see my truck the way I saw my truck, which is, I think my truck's amazing. Um, but now everybody can see it. That is awesome. I think the interior is unbelievable. And the before and after pictures are, are really awesome. And I noticed that they took some... Uh, they, they took some uh, inspiration from your previous stuff, right? With the skulls. Were you surprised to see that? Or were you involved in any way at all with, hey, I want purple and this type of stuff? I mean, he, Jason Cameron uh, from DIY Network and HGTV, he is phenomenal. He does the uh, the man cave and um, yeah. all just all kinds of different shows about these crazy renovations. Um, and he sat down and, and we talked for a minute. Um, and of course, you know, he'd notice that I have a tattoo of a skull and all my jewelry is either skulls or spider webs or um, I just in general, the stuff that I had in my truck. So I think he pulled it all together and gave me a phenomenal space. It really is. Just tell, what are some of the upgrades he put in there? What is in that space now that's helping you? Like you mentioned, you have an office in there and you've got that nice bed area. Oh, yeah. So we rotated and we actually flipped what you think of a truck cab on its head. Oh. Um, I had a bunch of people tell me that it couldn't be done and it couldn't be done. And yet here it is. We rotated my bed so that it 
goes along the passenger side wall. And then he lifted it up a few inches and gave me those, that massive storage boxes underneath. They hold a lot of clothes because I have a lot of clothes. Um, and then they put down hardwood floors. They super, they did a lot of behind the scenes stuff too. They super insulated. Um, so I don't feel any of the heat from the transmission and the motor anymore at all. It's pretty soundproof too. Um, and then well, they right next to those reefers, right? You're like, Hey, lull me to sleep. I can barely hear you anyway. Exactly. Um, now I don't hear anything unless I've opened my doors and windows um, but yeah, they've, they've wrapped it all the way around and they put, they stopped when it came to putting upper cabinets and, and are leaving that to me because I need to get in the space and, and live in it for a minute to kind of see how I'm going to use this space. But just opening it up, um, has changed just my whole daily routine and, and mood, um, there's no reason for it to be, I mean, even with a black ceiling, it's, there's so much more light in here than there was. Um, it doesn't feel like a cave. I don't wake up kind of drowning in, in stuff and closed in in a little box like I felt before. Yeah, I only assume, or the only reason I know you're in a truck, I would not have assumed that if I didn't already see pictures of your mm -hmm. truck. I would assume mm -hmm. you were like in a mm -hmm. room in your house or something right now. The way they did that trim and everything, it does look really nice. And you brought up a great point there. I mean, that's the one thing you notice just immediately between the before and the after is the organization and how much lighter it's made the inside of the truck. And when you think about drivers, you have to spend a lot of downtime in that truck, right? So your mood is greatly affected by the environment in which you're sort of held captive. Yeah, you know, I did a lot of uh, last year's Queen of the Road um, planning of the award ceremony on my steering wheel, like hunched over. And it was so miserable. And Desiree would call me and she's like, you can do it. Now she uh, she called me and she goes, that, so you're not going to complain this year? And I said, no, absolutely not. I'm actually way ahead of where I, I need to be. But you know, I'm just getting started with this year's awards cycle, and now it's more fun to do. Um, I've actually got a good workspace, um, something that's comfortable. I don't, I don't like sitting in that chair to drive and then sitting in it to do my work. It's you know, balancing a laptop on the steering wheel is not fun. <laughs> well, Jess, let's help some people out here. If they want to get involved, they want to get ahead of this for next year. They want to get their own truck pimped out by Transfix. What should they keep their eyes out for if they're doing this next year? Do you know when, like, usually the submission time is to uh, to nominate people? Um, I believe they put it out um, July. Uh, they put out the link for nominations. Um, you have to watch your nonprofits because that's who they go to. Um, so all of the, the trucking nonprofits and charities um, in their network, which Transfix, uh, I think above and beyond um, any other uh, group, has been so generous to the trucking nonprofits uh, and charities. Every single one of them gets a little bit of help from Transfix. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on any one of them, CDL tier, uh, real women in trucking, you know, we, as soon as we get those, um, announcements, we put them out and make sure that, um, everybody has that information. So following real women in trucking is your best source, um, of information on that one. Well, Hey, a little cowbell for you, for your new truck, for transfix. 
and for the team out there. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking us inside the cab today. Thanks for visiting me here in my new tiny home. I like it. It's great. <laughs> wow. I love it. That I is really cool. It is super cool down to the even the wood stool that they made for her at her workbench right there. It's really awesome. I, and I like that he captured her her personality a little bit and they threw it in there. This was the environment that someone is going to be stuck in. I like that he took some risks to the inside of the cab. Yeah, no, absolutely. And she had fresh eyes outside the industry too. Yeah, yeah. Even the pictures on the wall, if you notice, yeah. those are reminiscent of the, the little, there was a little skull mask in the very beginning there that had some of that flavor of, of, of those pictures. And he really did a great job. It's awesome. Well, there's a lot it. of things that can make a difference in a driver's life and their career and how long yeah. they stay. And of course, pay is definitely one of those. So we're going <laughs> to talk to Brian Runnels. He's the vice president of safety over at Reliance Partners. A little bit about driver pay recruiting and what's happening in the market right now. But Brian, before we even get to that, what did you think of the truck? That's great. I mean, I, I, anytime I used to watch that show, you know, back in the day, trick my truck and stuff like that. And you'd, and you really wonder how many of those things hit the road, but uh, you know, she's out there working in it. And you know, that is probably one of the things that, that we're going to talk about that goes beyond the pay thing. Uh, mm. is just quality of life. And, and I think hers has been exponentially improved and that that's going to keep her, keep her going for a good while. You know, it's interesting because I was reading a post this morning as I was prepping for you to come on and uh, someone wrote, hi, dispatcher here. I can't speak for the whole industry, but down here in the Southeast, drivers seem to have a short attention span and are just convinced that there's more money to be had at the next carrier. Then less than two or three months later, they come back. They're filling out another I-9. Is this industry standard? Does this all have to do with pay? Anyone else seeing this trend? Kind of fits into what we're going to talk about anyway. What are your thoughts on that, Brian? It's interesting, you know, they bring that point up because I, I'm wondering if we're getting to a point now on the driver pay side that we've just about reached where it's sustainable for companies. Uh, you know, I know that, uh, you know, drivers will say that there's always availability to more money. Um, and it, that's proved by Atri's last year report that driver compensation was the number one thing that drivers were worried about. Well, it was number five on the list for motor carriers. So there's a, there seems to be a huge disconnect there. Uh, but I think more than anything, everybody has been raising pay. So it's a matter of keeping up with the Joneses now more than making a difference in what you can offer somebody else. Uh, on the money side of things, uh, I think it's more of the, the the quality of life, and I think it's more of uh, I'll bring it back as simply what we saw a couple minutes ago, where you showed that person answering the phone. Man, that is absolutely huge. I mean, you know, I've talked to recruiters before, and one of the biggest things, and even for me when I was driving, one of the biggest things was just somebody to answer the damn phone. That's all we want. <laughs> Just somebody to talk to and answer a question. And if you can't get that, money sometimes doesn't make a difference. Yeah, right. I was going to ask you, we're talking about, you know, the, the rail strike recently, obviously, yeah. or the potential of that and being inverted. And it wasn't about really, it's not about the money. They keep saying it's about the quality of, of life and safety, et cetera. Is that more important now in the trucking industry? Is that what is we're making a shift to? It is, but 
you know, here's the the catch twenty two on the whole thing is I think by and large the days of drivers wanting to to run three thousand thirty two hundred miles a week. Mm. I mean, that's what we strove. That's what we you know strove for. That's not even a word. That's what we aimed for back in the day. And I, but that requires pretty much six days a week of running. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that is what, like I said, by and large, it's not everybody. Never say always, never say never. Um, but by and large, that's not what the, the industry is doing anymore, but yet the pay structure is still the same as it was. And so I don't, I don't necessarily know that those, th- those two things coincide uh, and it, it, but it's still a matter of if the wheels aren't rolling, you're not making any money. Well, Brian, it, it um, seems like it's been no, a while is. since I've read a headline on Freightways touting how driver pay has been increased. It seems like it's been, yeah, that's true. It's been months. I remember there was that big yeah. one that went viral about Walmart's like over a hundred thousand dollar pay to drivers and everything. But right now, the market is is down significantly since those days. That has to impact driver pay. Does that make this recruiting challenge even harder? It does. And, you know, it, it's interesting because when driver pay went crazy and everybody was doing the increases, you know, you you always hear that those. Those increases, you know, go to the operational cost of, of running a truck and that's all going to get passed down to the consumer. Well, guess what? The drivers are consumers, too. And so, you know, their own raises. Are actually kind of hurting them as well which is, I mean, it's just such a vicious circle uh, that you get a raise, but now the price of everything's going up and the stuff you brought, now you got to pay more for. So Brian, there's a big difference, right, between uh, uh, recruiting a driver who's bringing their own truck or one that's going to be driving a, a, a company truck, right? I mean, as far as that type of pay works, one is more dependent on safety issues than it is really the quality of pay in, in, or the, or the level of pay in some instances, no? It can be, you, you know, depending on what bonus structures are, are put in place. Uh, if there's large safety bonuses that, you know, sometimes the, the safety bonuses that are put out there are not obtainable quite honestly, but, uh, and then it goes into a structure, you know, is the, is the driver a W2 driver versus a 1099 driver and you know that's probably one of the worst kept secrets in the industry is you know, companies that are getting away with 1099ing their drivers that eh, they're probably not owner operators or independent contractors in in a true state of the uh in the form but you know they can get offered a lot more out and out pay than companies that are doing w-2 and having to take um you know tax uh, the taxes out and things like that so that's also playing a role in recruiting drivers is is the actual tax structure of the driver Hmm. well brian let me before we let you go let me ask you something let's say i'm a driver i'm frustrated with my company right now what would your advice be should i go head out in the market should i go jump in another cab with another logo what's the deal you know, there, it, like you said, you're always going to hear the grass is always greener. Yeah. Well, there's there's a reason that grass is greener is they put a whole bunch of stuff on it to get it to grow. And it you may not necessarily get the best outcome by just jumping. Uh, 
you know, it, it, you should exhaust all your opportunities and all your discussions with your current company to see if they can get you something that worked because there's a lot of companies out there that are, are willing to do a lot of things to keep drivers. And, you know, the retention piece is always such a hard thing to accomplish. And the, the companies that do it well have that open line of communication with their drivers. Yeah. I mean, Brian, as CM Punk once said at an infamous press conference, the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Thank you so much for your time today, Brian. That's a, that's <laughs> Go check it. out Shrike thanks, Insurance. Guys. Go check out Reliance Partners, Brian. Once again, thanks for your time. Take care. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Do you remember what Vaughn Moore from AIT said last time he was on the show? I do. He said, bigger isn't better. Better is better. That's right. Whether it's new offices in India, life sciences operations in Europe, or acquiring one of the best final mom providers in the U.S., AIT's exponential growth is driven by anticipating and responding to customer needs. Discover how they can help your business gain fast, streamlined access to new markets at Tell Em, Dude. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com immediately after this show. So Kathy Robinson is over at CSCMP, and she she put she uh, a tweet out that she was at like their final mile session over there. Okay. And they had a, a younger speaker, and the younger speaker was talking about how final mile is a, a new and emerging market. Oh, is that and I was like, I wonder if that speaker even knew that Netflix started out like as a final mile delivery business. I, I'm sure they didn't. They probably, they did probably not. didn't know. They that. had no this idea. Is brand you'd new go, final you'd mile have thing. To go out to the mailbox. To E-commerce is brand new. No, it's brand new. Been around. Buster's <laughs> been Buster's been around for over 100 years, baby. <laughs> it's been yeah, around yeah, for a while. We got Danny Ramon, intelligence and response manager at Overhaul, and we're going to actually continue a conversation we had on Monday when we were talking about cargo theft, right? Yeah, big yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. And then after we had, when we were researching for our session on cargo theft on Monday, we uncovered like there's a ton of it going on, especially this month. There's been a ton of meat cargo thefts. There's been a ton of general good cargo thefts. We yeah. did those Nikes on here. There's been a bunch of other, like in Pomona, there was a big bunch of thefts. So let's ask a former beer Sherpa how this all <laughs> works. It's Danny Ramon, Intelligent Response Manager overall. Danny, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Uh, how are you guys doing? How does it, so let me let me ask you how does it, how does beer sherpaing work and what's the biggest takeaway you you talk from beer sherping to logistics <laughs> Well you definitely want to make sure that your beer gets to the final destination but uh but beer sherping is really all about making sure uh that your guests is is essentially a tour guide job but it's making sure your guests get to the top of the craft beer mountain uh I essentially would take people around to local breweries and and brew pubs and stuff like that Oh, really? So you were like a tour guide for the best craft beers in the city? Right. Well, I was a tour guide for the the different places that had tours. So I wouldn't give tours at those locations. I would give a more general tour uh, on the way to those locations. Very wow. cool. Very okay. cool. All right. I, I found that out. Well, what is overhaul? On my LinkedIn page, though, I see. <laughs> of yeah. course. Everybody. Well, so what does overhaul do? Overhaul, we uh, are logistics visibility and security specialists. Uh, well, at least that's that's the part that I take care of. Um, you know, we're we're in charge of watching uh, for compliance, monitoring for compliance, and then my team, the uh, intelligence and response team, um, we're very much uh, the guy in the chair. If you've seen the new Spider-Man movie, we're in charge of getting information into the hands of the people who are going to enact a response, who are going to effect a recovery of any potentially stolen cargo. Wow. Okay. So Danny, let's, uh, let me ask you this. Are there, uh, is theft, cargo theft cyclical in nature? Uh, uh, like right now, you know, the economy's not doing so worse and worse it gets. Does theft go up or is it just, we report on it more and then we kind of goes out of mind, uh, you know, 
don't see it anymore. It, it is it is cyclical. I mean, well, it's seasonal, first of all, in that we definitely see an uptick every year around the third and fourth quarter when the mm-hmm. holiday shipping season kind of kicks into gear, right? But it is also definitely cyclical when around other events. Uh, the economy takes a downturn. Yeah, you're going to say all sorts of crime go up, especially uh, not especially cargo crime, but also cargo crime. Uh, we also know there's other external factors that will drive cargo theft. Uh, if there's a major storm that hits the U.S., uh, shingles, lumber, other building supplies, mm. uh, those things are going to go up in thefts. Uh, gas prices go up. We're going to see uh, auto parts and things like that go up in, in in cargo theft and things like that. If the price of scrap copper exceeds a certain threshold, we're going to see uh, thefts of scrap metals start to go up as well. Yeah, well, it's like when the cartels, like avocados got more expensive than drugs, so they started like defending the avocados. That's exactly right. They actually well, it's just, it's just commodities. I mean, people just buy things that are worth more money. Yeah, we have a black market are attracted avocado? to such things, aren't they? Um, right, so- absolutely. And and one of the biggest drivers uh, right now in cargo theft is anything that's going uh, for higher than retail price on the secondary market is a hot target for uh, for cargo theft. There you go. We got to we got to so, cargo theft some car haulers. With the, those MSRP, <laughs> those dealer markups. Oh, yeah. What is it, is it, so is it like that, though? So we've we've done stories where, like, we did one where someone was stealing a, were they pistachios? They were, like, falsifying documents. This was, like, an entire yeah, 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 operation. Yeah, yeah. Falsifying yeah, yeah. documents, usually uh, fake EDI, things like that, to steal cargo. And then you see, like, what we saw with Nike, which was just, like, people with crowbars breaking seals and just going through boxes. What is the majority of cargo theft? The majority of cargo theft is going to be uh, the strategic, I mean, not necessarily strategic cargo theft, but organized cargo thieves. Uh, These are folks who make their living centered around cargo theft, right? Uh, They'll travel multiple states to do it. They'll use uh, technology methods, uh, fraudulent methods, uh, fraudulent carrier identities, stealing CDL holder identities as well. Uh, We see a lot of that, but we also definitely see an uptick recently in the last, you know, since the pandemic started uh, in street level criminals uh, performing cargo theft. Now, that's obviously going to be less organized. They're typically not going to get away with as much cargo uh, as, as someone who has a CDL and can actually drive a tractor trailer. Uh, they'll Those organized thieves are usually going to steal the entire tractor trailer uh, and then take the trailer, repower it with another tractor, and then drive it to a different destination. When we're dealing with street-level criminals, you know, they typically don't have a CDL, and even if they do, they don't have an extra tractor just lying around. So that's when we end up with a lot of the, like, rail pilferages and things things like that. But those are local thieves. Uh, those are not thieves who are traveling, like I said, multiple states to perform this kind of a crime. Uh, the other issue with that, though, is that these local thieves are typically much more uh, prone to violence. Uh, they're usually engaged in violent crimes on a day-to-day uh, basis anyways. So they are introducing a lot more violence into cargo crime than we've typically seen because those organized thieves who do travel across state lines are very, very risk-averse, uh, and they will typically not commit any kind of violence or threat of violence because they know if, that they, if they get caught, their sentence is going to be much, much higher uh, if they use any kind of violence. Yeah, but what about, like, no witnesses, like, right? Wouldn't they be further incentivized? I mean, I watch a lot of TV shows, so that would be my first thought. <laughs> You'd think, but no, I mean, a lot of them are fine getting caught, doing their time, getting out and knowing that that crew is going to be waiting for them when they get out. You know, yeah, it's kind of a yeah. cycle for them, too. Yeah. Uh, and the crews know, you know, we're down a couple guys. Maybe they're going to go and recruit a few more um, guys get out of prison. Maybe, you know, we we're dealing with a crew right now in Louisville um, that we're pretty sure a couple of the guys who were in prison have gotten out of prison recently. And we think that they may have split into two different crews at this point. Uh, oh, wow. Still, I mean, same structure, but they're actually two operating crews. Uh, is our theory at the moment. 
unbelievable. So you guys are tracking these guys. You know, when I was uh, in, in LTL, we had two 400 dock doors in inbound and outbound over in Harrisburg, right? Yeah. And we'd go through security all the time, security training and, and theft training. And they'd say, if you don't think there's at least two or three phone calls going off of that dock on a daily basis telling people where this cargo is going and what's on it, yeah. you're crazy because it's happening. And those times, that corridor, Harrisburg into like New York City and stuff, that was considered like the big crime th uh, cargo theft area. Is that still that way now, or where are the biggest, riskiest places in the United States? Uh, well, I mean, hotspots don't change too often. Now, I'm sure that uh, Harrisburg is definitely still a hotspot, um, and we, we, we do see a lot of uh, thieves following from origin out of Harrisburg and other spots in Pennsylvania. But by and large, the, the densest hotspots, the riskiest spots in the U.S. for cargo theft uh, tend to be where there is the most cargo. Um, so, you know, Southern California, Port of L.A. and Long Beach, uh, Inland Empire, Atlanta, Georgia, Memphis, Tennessee, you know, we've got a, a confluence of, of major interstate highways, plus they're near a, a seaport. So we see a lot of cargo flowing through those areas. Uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex in, uh, in Texas is another big one. Um, those are pretty much the big ones right there. What about, you mentioned the violence. What about, I mean, this has to be many truckers' fears, is just getting hijacked, right? How do those work? Are they like how you would think in mind, like almost like a carjacking? Someone stops the truck, they put a gun on the driver and just just take the vehicle. How prevalent is that here in the United States and how does it go down? Yeah, in the States, it's not very prevalent at all. Um, usually the, the thieves who would be committing violence are, are going to be committing pilferage. So they're just popping the seal on the back of the trailer, uh, taking as much as they can carry away or as much as they maybe can load into a, a, a cargo van or a box truck. Uh, and if they get caught in the act, they're most likely going to flee. Um, where we do see a lot of violence in cargo theft is South Africa uh, and Latin America, uh, Mexico and Brazil. And in those areas, yeah, we it's just what you would think. You know, there's, they're going to pull up alongside a driver uh, who's driving down the highway. They're going to point a gun at him. If they're you know in a hurry, they're going to point a gun at him. If they're not in a hurry, then maybe they'll try and tell him that he, something's wrong with his truck and try and get him to pull over. But we do see other more sophisticated methods as well. Um, we see thieves using legitimate police vehicles and uniforms to set up fake police roadblocks on the highways mm -hmm. in rural areas where police response is going to be slow. And at that point, they can actually check the bill of lading for every truck that goes by and decide, I want this one, yes or no. And when they get one that they want, they'll ask them to pull over and they'll just take the truck. So they're just shopping at that point, right? So as a shipper, what can I watch out for? What, what do I need to look for in this holiday season so I don't get taken by these things? What, what do you do? <laughs> Compliance. It's really all about compliance. You want to make sure that you're getting ahead of any issues and that you're noticing any red flags before they start causing losses within your network. So, um, yeah, monitoring for compliance, making sure the drivers are following certain rules. Uh, we've got all of those you know, available for you if you want to contact me and, and we can have a discussion about it. I'm more than happy to do that. But there's a pretty long list of stuff. Um, Remote monitoring is one of the big ones, uh, having embedded devices inside the cargo so that even if the tractor and trailer gets separated or the uh, cargo gets transloaded into another trailer, we still have eyes on where the cargo is. Uh, those kinds of things are very important. Very cool. So people who want to assess their risk, they want to have their supply chain look like they want to work with you guys over at Overhaul. Where do I send them to? Uh, Over-Hall.com would be the first one. Of course, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to uh, get you in touch with uh, whoever it may be or answer any questions I can directly. Very cool. Hey, thank you for your time today and for uh, shedding some light on this serious situation. Anytime, guys. Thank you for having me. Wow. Carjackings, man. Hijackings. One Crazy one. stuff, dude. Yeah. That's Rooster, we got, we got Justin Martin over at Back the Truck Up. We got uh, 
Rooster coming up in just a minute. I know they're making them their double box, but I'll give them something to think about before we pull them up on camera. Have they ever been uh, carjacked, hijacked? Have they ever pilfered their own freight? I mean, sometimes it's an inside <laughs> job. Like a guy like Justin, Most he might have a, he'd have closer access than anybody to pilfer some. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we always found that it was mostly it was inside jobs. Yeah. That were happening. So, so Rooster, white hat or black hat trucker? What were I mean, <laughs> Justin? White hat or black hat trucker? What were you? Were you doing the pilferage, or were you the one getting hijacked? Definitely a white hat. They're lucky I was a white hat. <laughs> I would make an excellent black hat truck driver. Well, you did that government stuff, so you had it like in movies. There's always yeah. like some rogue uh, European terrorist group that would be like following a guy like you around. Yeah, but fortunately for us, um, even the guys that do follow you, they're really easy to spot. But yeah. Justin's a he was a double agent. Oh, I wasn't supposed to say that. I'm sorry. He, he just dumps the, he hits the log button like Gord and just dumps him out the back of your fallen spy hunter stuff. But you, Rooster, you ever get uh, hijacked when you're driving that truck around? Uh, actually, I did. And the funny thing is where it was located for, uh, I was having to wait over at a, uh, I believe it was a Costco DC in Atlanta. It was right across the road from the Snyder Terminal. And somebody popped a seal in the back of my truck and stole some toilet paper out of the back. And this is way before the pandemic started. This oh. was uh, 2007, 2008 time. They wow, only took a roll it? and a half, though, which was the weird thing. Yeah, it took, yeah, yeah. It took a couple yeah, sheets. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were hoping for something else, maybe like sugar to make moonshine or something. It was that Scott tissue, too, like that two-ply stuff. Like, it's good on the septic system, but it's bad on, like, the hand and the butt. Yeah, they yeah. want yeah, it. Scott tissue. Industrial stuff. toilet paper, they didn't need it. <laughs> Uh, to be more serious for a second here, uh, many of you have probably seen this video. If you don't want to see this video, it's a little bit graphic. A truck is going to fall over an overpass and explode. I'll warn those of you who don't like seeing images like this before we play. Can you roll the tape here, Rooster? Tell us what we're looking at and what happened here. Uh, this is Allen, Texas, and uh, the intersection, I believe, was Texas 76 and Stacy Road. Uh, truck was traveling down the road, gotten a, tangled up with another vehicle up on the overpass and uh, either got knocked off or, you know, made the move to flip over, you know, to save other people. But it ripped the, the tank open as it was coming off the bridge and fired suit. Unfortunately, it did gator roll and land right on top of the cab. The police report said driver may have died instantly from the crash, but, you know, it's... It, I mean... If that not, it had to be within a couple seconds, right? I mean, if not, like if you say, like he turned into a fireball as he was before he even hit the ground. It, he so he hit yeah. something. He hit another vehicle up when he was on the overpass, and that uh, is what caused yeah, the fall. According to police reports, there was something going on on uh, on the highway that caused him to get knocked off or decided to go off himself. So we don't fall off. I don't know what exactly what occurred. It's still under investigation. Yeah, he may have been avoiding something and saved some people's lives by, I, by I know, jumping I, off of there. I, I, you never know. What, you, go ahead. Well, I was just curious. Like, how often is that in the back of your mind when you're driving a truck, especially when it's windy and you're going yeah. over these overpasses and you know there's very little room for failure or something like that were happening? You think about that when you're driving Rooster? Unfortunately, you know, that's something we have to take into consideration, being professional drivers, you know, to protect the lives of others. You know, do would it be better to pull the steering wheel hard right hard left and you know take the chance in a ditch yeah. or a median or whatever versus plowing into a bunch of people and causing a mass casualty incident 
And you could have a in split second to make that decision. Justin, you have ever have any close call like that? I've known two drivers personally. They were a team operation uh, hauling munitions like I was years ago, and they had the exact same kind of accident. A uh, car came across the bridge and cut them off, and they swerved to avoid it, hit the wall of the bridge, and flipped over and uh, exploded on impact, just like wow. that accident right there. I, you know, either way, you, you just, uh, in that moment, when I see that type of thing, the only thing I can think of is uh, I pray died instantly, didn't know what was going on and have a chance to suffer in situations sure. like that. And I mean, not making that choice, I imagine it would be, in, if he did make a choice, God bless him. But can you imagine doubting or, or questioning whether you should have made that choice afterwards if you had killed like three or four people? That'd be Unfortunately for him, he's not going to have the chance. But let's, no. talk, let's talk about that. Let's talk about being a professional driver. Let's talk about safety a little bit because there's a very controversial video that was shared the other day too. It's this sort of road rage incident. There's been a lot of back and forth. And I'm not talking about just people who don't know what they're talking about. A lot of truck drivers in the truck driver community have been going back and forth on the responsibility of a driver in this video. Roll the tape and, and we'll talk about it a little bit here. Uh, it's this one with the truck. If you watch on your right here, there's a vehicle that's coming in and he obviously missed where he was supposed to merge on the zipper here. Now he's trying to pull in. I can't see behind this truck. I don't know if he's got a bunch of cars behind him, so he can't stop short. But either way, this guy can't clear the front of this truck, and this truck um, isn't letting him. And now he's going to start hitting some barrels before he uh, he drops off here. Justin, we'll start with you. What do you? So in this video, what's your take? Any sense of satisfaction that you're going to get out of like teaching this guy a lesson, it's not going to be worth the headache afterwards because now you're going to have to deal with, uh, you know, repairing any damage, any tickets involved. You know, it's just not worth it. That, to me, that looks like, like in you know, like in a movie where there's like the fantasy of you doing like the evil sort of like violent, like, <laughs> yeah. I would oh, love yeah. to do yeah, this yeah. kind of fantasy. That's what this guy did, where I think in like reality, you should probably be like, I got to make a safer decision here to just. Because even if you don't care about that other person, right? I'm not saying you got to care about that person who just tried to pull in front of you. But like you said right there, for your own selfish reasons too, it could cause you a lot of issues. Rooster, what do you think when you see this video? To the driver in that truck, you had miles of signs telling you to get over into the other lane. You had no calls to wait to the very last second to try to force that driver either off that road or into another lane of oncoming traffic. You had miles, sir. Two Wait, wrongs don't make a right, though, to man. There's two, two trucks. The semi-truck yeah. or the truck that merged in? It, it is the driver that was trying to merge in. He had yeah. miles of signs telling him to get over. Get off your phone. Pay attention to the road. That gets people killed. Okay, but see, so I, like, at home, I like, I have kids, and they will all, and a puppy, and they will often do things where it's like, you should not have done that. But now we're in the moment where they have done it, and we still have to come mm -hmm. to some sort of, like, resolution. So what are your thoughts on what the driver did, though, well he was in that situation and understood he had a few minutes to process, this truck is stuck here, and now I have to make some of my own decisions? Yeah, the driver could have backed off, but um, all he could do in that situation was accelerate. He couldn't yeah. get over. He yeah. had either a drop-off or another lane of oncoming traffic. Sure. Yeah, driver should have shown some professional courtesy and backed off. But, you know, who could have said that driver would have stayed side-by-side side next to him shooting a bird while he's still hitting the barrels? Could be, could be. And, again, we don't know what was going on behind him either. Yeah, we don't know what sort of congestion there was in traffic. And if he could have safely decelerated quickly enough to let that truck in will not, you know, having someone behind him smash into him. So we're not sure. Uh, I don't think anyone actually got injured in this incident, right? I don't think anyone really got hurt. Someone learned a lesson with the traffic barrel on the front of their truck. 
don't do that. <laughs> don't merge like Rooster said. And maybe yeah. if the, the driver, like Justin said, just think a little bit. Well, I feel like Judge Judy is like, why don't you think a little? No. <laughs> those, those, Forget it. I'm going to take Rooster's those, side. <laughs> Stop trying to merge in front of a truck like an yeah. idiot. It was killed everyone on the road. My initial reaction is they're both wrong because the guy was taking satisfaction and running that guy into the barrels. But you're right. We don't know the entire situation there. So there could be totally something else going on there. The driver of that he truck could have let him barrels, in though, and then those still barrels are the not light. too. He could have. Oh, and been like, hey, this is. Yeah, but then it wouldn't have been as yeah. interesting to talk about. <laughs> no, no, that. no, don't go. Out, we're not encouraging. Don't go out there and not let cars merge. Or not. We're discussing it because it's become a uh, big discussion. Yeah. yeah. Here's another thing. Talk about a, a mess up here. Look at this capsizing ship. This happened just the other uh, early in the morning over here. That's the Sea Eagle. It's a general cargo vessel, a relatively small one, right? It's 260 feet in yeah. length. Yeah. Um, it can carry only 256 TUs. Now, when we were talking about the vessels like that were out in southern Los Angeles, you were talking like 8,000 yeah, to yeah, yeah, 15,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you're talking about uh, like the Ever a lot in the big ships that Rachel hates, you're talking about like 24,000 TUs. This is only 256 20 foot um, equivalent units. Sal did like a nice breakdown on this though. He said that the sinking just happened because of the way these ships are balanced, right? Um, the pier side container handler, he's moving the box, and uh, the container on the starboard side moved along with those top boxes too. Caused that dip, the center of gravity shift, and it just all went down, went down really quick. I don't know. Rooster, you like it? Uh, <laughs> thinking they may have put a uh, 256 FEUs and not TEUs. Yeah. And when it didn't stay up pretty quick, did she? Yeah, no. Well, when you start unloading all the containers on one side of the ship at the same time, they're all going to fall over the other way. So, you know, I don't know if it was a unloading order issue of, you know, pulling the containers off the wrong way. You know, this is Sal's area expertise. I'm just a yeah. dumb truck driver. You know, I know we're just kind of like looking at it. He did do a nice breakdown. I have to have him do it in the flesh, though, because he has like all these diagrams on here about how the, the weight mm -hmm. shifted. I mean, it's but these these the what he said these this vessel here doesn't have the sophisticated ballast that those other ones do no right to be able to handle this type of stuff and I, I you know I was I was in maritime for a number of years about eight years and there's load plans for loading and unloading right and so yeah to say it was unloaded wrong it, absolutely it was unloaded wrong it was that should never have happened otherwise and it wasn't that it was loaded incorrectly because it would have happened at loading. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. That's true instead of so, unloading. Uh, yeah, it, somebody didn't follow the correct plan. Now, I did have a competitor once that's kind of interesting. They used to load their ships while they were at low tide on the Miami River. Yeah. And they would, so the river, the ships would actually be sitting on the bottom of the river. And then once they'd rise up, then they'd decide whether they were balanced or not. I like, I don't know what these guys are saying. Cause, uh, but I, I can, I can tell what they're saying. Like, I, I don't, I can't understand yeah. the language they're speaking, yeah. but I know exactly what yeah, they're saying. Holy cow, that thing's going to go over. Rooster, another <laughs> bad accident too that um that came through the wire over here. Show this picture of this target truck. Tell us what happened here. Well, mm. uh, this is uh, possibly could have been a sleeping while driving incident. This was out uh, about twenty or thirty miles east of Indianapolis, about three a.m. Tuesday morning. Uh, don't know which truck was which in the situation, but the westbound truck crossed over to median over all the way into the eastbound highway and uh, had a crossover incident. The Old Dominion truck, a target truck, you know, as you can see here, completely wrecked. Uh, it's just a bad mess. So we don't know if this was a incident we can attack on to a, 
know, overworked driver, not enough rest or what going on mm. in this situation. Yeah. Hate to hate to see it. Hate to see it. Um, God. you know, we also talked about cargo theft earlier, right? It was a big topic over with overall right before you guys came on. I know you put up an article yesterday on backthetruckup.com about all these this string of meat thefts that's been going on. But we actually there's another article you're working on because of all the general cargo thefts that have been happening too. What is, what's going on out there? I mean, it does seem like a sign of the economy, but what, what's been what's been happening out in the street? Well, I believe it's when people started going around saying that, you know, we may have $50 a pound beef. Uh, everybody decided to head out west and uh, start some modern day cattle rustling. You know, uh, JBS Foods and McCain Foods both have been hit by a string of uh, robberies. Uh, I believe it's the same crew because they're always taking three trailers. It's kind of been like the MO. Uh, we saw this over in a, out in mid Iowa, where over to, Labor Day holiday when the three trailers was of pork were taken. Then a couple of weeks later, there was an incident over in a in Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska, where a JBS was robbed of a trailer load of meat, about fifty thousand dollars worth. You know, it was just basically like uh, refuse cuttings. Then last week we had the Grand Island incident, which may have been like the mother load. You know, three trailers load a piece. Price of between two hundred fifty thousand and a million dollars, according to whatever cut was in that trailer. So it, it's uh, looking like a boom market. You know, I don't know if there's any like little butcher shops out that way that just suddenly got stocked up out the gills with beef. But you know, it's where, a, Rooster, where do you sell black? You're you're on a farm. Where do you sell black market meat? You just go to Justin's house and uh, see if he'll take it off your hands. Uh, no questions. My asked. case, I got a. <laughs> In my case, I got a cousin that's a butcher, but I, uh, he's uh, what, wandering. What we meat. see you right, buy that black market. He's meat? wandering Vincent the meat. Buys it on the street corner here in Chattanooga. What we, what we see down here is people. They'll have deep freezers in the back of a truck, <laughs> and they'll just be going house to house trying to sell meat. Oh, those guys selling it's, Omaha steaks in a parking lot. Yeah, I bought that, and there was a brick in the yeah. box. Yeah. <laughs> There's a brick yeah. inside yeah. there. That's where we're getting to in society. I'd go. see them all the time in Florida. There's oh, yeah. a line. Absolutely. Do you remember the 80s show V where the guys were like, the yeah, guys, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, I can make more money selling hamburger now than I can selling reefer. <laughs> I was watching that the other night. <laughs> well, I was going to say, is this a case of maybe uh, driver pay down a little bit here? And, uh, you know, I mean, because it takes some skill to be able to target three consecutive, uh, you know, well, nice as, trailers. You know, as Danny was saying from overhaul, these are sophisticated rings. Some yeah. of them were so big that they were like yeah. splintering into other groups. They'd have done so well. <laughs> They're like XBO or something. They got to split into GXO and RXO and all these different uh, arms <laughs> of their. How about this they one? Know someone in the inside that's loading the trailers. All right, what it's do a we pod think? structure a brokerage. It's like a pod structure. Now, we got to take a trip back to south of the border. Okay, what do you think that FedEx did over at this Porky's right here? There's a sign that clearly says, and this isn't just like a handwritten sign. They actually went through the trouble of like printing this thing out. They put it up and they said, no FedEx trucks can come in the Porky's lot. Porky's is a apparently a place in south of the border that looks kind of sketchy and has like those dive bar windows. So when you walk out of there after day drinking at two o'clock, your eyes <laughs> yeah, get annihilated yeah, by the sun. What do you think they did, Justin? Well, I called them and weren't well, not didn't get much information out of them. Um, the lady I talked to basically just worked at the motel. But if I had to guess, it's not a very big lot, so they're probably taking up a lot of space while they're trying to rearrange their doubles and triples. Dude, that would have been awesome if he oh, called him and that lady at Walmart picked up instead. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't work here. I'm just looking for a. Bell. Brewster, what do you think they did over at Porky's? 
Uh, the the story is like just was saying, ever parking the doubles and triples in the lot. And Wait, I want a fun answer. Lot, Never mind. You're getting cowbell. I want a fun answer, Rooster. <laughs> all right, find me at Timothy Duder right. on the Twitter. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Find them at Back the Truck Up or Back the Truck on Twitter. Take care. <laughs> Peace and love. <laughs> Spread it everywhere. I don't.